Have you ever had a conversation with your friends at a dinner party and the conversation goes, who would you invite to a dinner party if anyone would come? So any kind of celebrity or politician or famous person. When I think about that kind of question, I think to myself, I would invite Steve Waugh, who is my childhood hero. I wanted to be just like him. I wanted to captain the Australian cricket team just like he did. Uh, the most successful Australian cricket captain, maybe rivaling to Alan Border. But otherwise, he was my hero, and so I would definitely want to see him at my dinner party. Uh, more recently, I'd probably want to have Kelly Slater as well, one of the greatest surfers, if not the greatest of all time. Uh, he is just fantastic. He is still winning competitions at the age of 42 or 43, which is so impressive for a competitive surfer. And also, I think myself, I think maybe I wouldn't have like, you know, Brad Pitt maybe as well, because I admire him as an actor and admire him for his looks as well. And I think, how could I look like him more? So, and so you know, get some advice from him as well. But Brad Pitt from 1999 or, or 2000, not, not current Brad Pitt, which is a very puffy looking guy there. Now, as a Christian, you think, why don't you invite Jesus to the dinner party? And most of us as Christians would think, yeah, we'd feel like we'd have to invite him along because he's an impressive guy, right? And surely we want to meet the guy who we serve, who's our Lord and Savior. But I have to say, there's no way I'm inviting Jesus to a dinner party. Every time he goes to a dinner party, he always brings up really awkward conversations. This guy, when he sees a problem, he doesn't want to just ignore it like you would normally do at a dinner party. He confronts the issue head on, and he decides that I'm going to bring it up in front of all of you guys here. I mean, this is the guy who, when you walk into the mall, he brings a whip with him, and he overturns tables and stuff. And so he's not the kind of person you want at your dinner party. And here in the, in the passage this evening, we have Jesus come to a dinner party, and he sees an issue, and he decides, I'm going to confront them on that. In fact, before he even gets to the dinner party, he's already embarrassed the Pharisees, who is the party he's going to, about their lack of compassion towards people, other people in the area. So a man who has dropsy and illness is brought in, and they use him to try and entrap Jesus doing a, a healing on the Sabbath. And Jesus reveals that these people, these Pharisees, who he is having dinner with, have lack of compassion and humility towards this person. And before they've even gotten to their seats, Jesus again sees a massive problem and decides he's going to go head on and confront them about this issue. And so tonight, we might be sitting here feeling pretty comfortable, feeling pretty safe, but perhaps tonight Jesus wants to confront you with a particular problem in your own life as well. The reason why he does this is not because he's a killjoy or wants to ruin a party, because when he sees a massive problem, he wants to fix it for us so that we can know him better and know how to live according to his way. We're in the middle of a series on the road with Jesus. We're following Jesus along this road towards Jerusalem. In the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the idea of what motivates us to go on this journey with him, but also what motivates him to take this journey towards Jerusalem in the first place as well. And as we've seen, he's motivated by love and joy to save his people from sin. And, and so we are also invited along this journey, along this road as well. Not the road towards Jerusalem as such, but the road towards the destination of his kingdom, the new creation. And as we journey on this road, we've looked at the idea that we are followers of Jesus. We are apprentices. We are learning the way of Jesus. 
and how we can live the life of the kingdom until the kingdom comes in its fullness. And so here in Luke 14, we're going to look at what this life looks like now in the present. And Luke 14, it's all about what this journey looks like today. And so this evening, we're going to look at how an ordinary dinner party exposes deep problems with not just the Pharisees' life and how they live before God, but also how we might be living before God as well as wrong. If you look at verse 7, it should be on the screen as well. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honour at the table, he told them this parable. In the first century, Jewish culture was hierarchical and the dinner table played a big role in that. It was a big important role in social importance. To eat at someone's dinner table was to be considered their friend, to be accepted by their family or the community around them. And the dinner table was shaped like a U. And so if you go at dinner after SNC, you will see we have a U-shaped table at the back there as well. And the host would sit at the bottom of the U, and if you were close to the host, you were sitting in the most honourable positions. If you were at the ends of the U, you were sitting in the least honourable positions. So therefore, you'd want to be sitting as close to the host as you possibly could because that is, you'd be considered most honourable by other people. And so therefore, Jesus... He observes the Pharisees running towards the positions of honour, trying to negotiate with the other Pharisees, uh, going why they probably should sit closer to the host than others, perhaps saying that I've been a Pharisee longer than you have. They're appointing themselves to the positions of honour at the table. And Jesus sees all of this, and he sees a massive, massive problem. And so he says in verse 8, Peter starts telling a parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honour. So Jewish culture is hierarchical. There's a pecking order here. And you could tell this pecking order by the way someone dressed, their title, and here where they sat at the dinner table as well. And so especially at a public event like a wedding reception, you want to make sure that your most honourable guest gets the most honourable seats. The father of the bride and the father of the groom and the mother of the groom and bride, they have to make sure they have the most honourable seats at the wedding. When we go back to Balgala, we'll be having a, an official opening on the Wednesday the 20th. Make sure you're there. And we'll have a whole lot of dignitaries come. And they will be reserved seats of honour because these people play a special role in our society and we want to honour them as we open up our building and share with them what we hope God's going to be doing through us. But what Jesus observes here are the Pharisees attempting to appoint themselves the seats of honour, wanting that recognition that comes with sitting right next to the host to be seen as more worthy or better than those around the table. But the problem is, is what if someone else comes who's actually deserving of that honourable seat and takes it from you? We keep reading. For a person more distinguished than you may be invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. All the work you did to get there, the negotiations being first to the seat, would be all for nothing. And what's worse, it has the opposite effect. It will lead to being humiliated and shamed. Imagine you're at the official opening 
You get there as early as possible you can at 7.30 in the dot. You claim that seat at the very front. You're so excited. You're in the midst of it all. And then an usher comes to you at 7.30 and says to you, oh, excuse me, you're in James Griffin's seat, the local member for state parliament. And there's James Griffin, and he's looking down at you, and he's smiling. He's a kind guy. But you're in his seat, and he's waiting for his seat. And so when shame and humiliation, you've got to get up, you've got to walk to the back of the church, and you've got to take the very last seat as far away as possible from the front. And everyone is looking at you, and they know you're the person who took James Griffin's seat. Well, imagine that, but on a much bigger scale here. The shame is drawn out in a long kind of way. It says in literally in the Greek, then you will begin with shame to take the last seat. What's pictured is a walk of shame. They begin to take this journey all the way to the very last seat at the table, the least honorable place, and every shameful moment is felt and experienced, and they can feel everyone's eyes on them. What is Jesus doing here? Jesus is exposing our heart's desire for significance and recognition, our heart's desire for honor, and how that desire can be undermined and corrupted by an inflated view of ourselves. And the consequences are devastating. The Pharisees choose their seats, and how they choose their seats exposes their self-righteousness and their conceitedness as they compete for places of honor at the table to be seen better than other people, reveals their lack of humility and compassion. And all before the one who is the most honorable guest, Jesus himself, the Son of God, he is the most honorable guest amongst them, and yet they don't see him at all. Their lack of humility and compassion meant they missed seeing Jesus for who he was or who he is. They had been sucked into a culture that made their religion all about them looking good rather than serving other people, expressing humility and compassion, the things that God loves. No doubt we see this in our own culture today. The modern mantra is to look out for number one, to follow our dreams and desires, to do so by competing against other people for honor and recognition. And to do so, we'll judge how well we're going by comparing ourselves, by playing that comparison game with other people. We'll look at our car and compare it to other people's cars. We'll look at our home and we'll compare it to other people's homes. We'll look at the holidays we go on and compare it to those of our friends and family and what holidays they go on as well. We'll compare how healthy or beautiful or fit we look and compare it to those as well. We might look at how many followers we have on Instagram or Facebook and how many likes and comments we get and think we're better or not better based on how well we're doing against other people. Life is a big competition. And this is not by accident. This is driven by marketing and advertising. It's driven by big business telling us that you don't match up. But here's a way you can. Buy our product, buy our service, and you can make sure you can be the latest, the coolest person out there compared to all your friends, and everyone will be so jealous in those new clothes, everyone will be so jealous of the holiday you have just taken. Our heart's desire to be great, to be honorable, is corrupted by our culture to make us think honor 
and greatness, that recognition and significance is achieved by competing against each other. This is the air we breathe. And if we're not careful, our religion will be sucked right in. We'll be, to use a this cultural moment phrase, we'll be colonized by the culture that we're in. And we'll look no different to the Pharisees around us who pursue their honor and recognition through competition. We'll look down on each other for not coming to church on Sunday. We'll look down on each other for not serving as much as we serve. We'll look down on each other if people make mistakes and aren't as holy or mature as we are. We might even do what the Pharisee in Luke 18 does and thank God we're not like other people who aren't as good as us. We compete along this spiritual scale, so to speak, and as we do, we'll miss Jesus completely. The parable is a warning that the Pharisee's way of honor is not going to end well for those who follow in that way. It creates an inflated view of ourselves that makes us compete against each other, and the results are devastating, a fall from grace. As the saying goes, pride comes before the fall. And that results in shame and isolation, in being ignored completely by all. And if we're honest, we find ourselves following in this way, and it's empty promises. If we're honest, we often feel good when other people fail around us because it makes us feel good. If we're honest, we feel good when we are seen as someone who serves a lot at church because that makes us feel better than other people who don't serve as much at church. It frustrates us that people don't pull their weight around as much, and so therefore we feel like we have to be proud that we do pull our weight around at church. We might feel better and feel good because we are more spiritually expressive than other people at church as well. To follow in that kind of way, to think in that kind of pattern, is to think in the way, and to follow in the way of the Pharisees themselves, to think that to be better, to be honorable we've got to compete against each other for that honor and the thing is you're not alone the temptation even for me to listen to other people's sermons my peers and to compare myself with them to think how well am i doing am i better than them or are they better than me and of course i feel good when i listen to a friend's sermon and i think it's not that great but i feel crushed and destroy when I listen to a friend's sermon and they're clearly better than me. There must be a better way, one that doesn't pit us against each other to compete. And the good news is there is. Jesus wants to offer a different way, a way of life that redefines the pursuit of honor and what that actually looks like. And we have it here in verse 10. But when you are invited, take the lowest place. What Jesus proposes is a radically different way to the way of the Pharisees and indeed to our whole world when it comes to pursuing honor. Instead of competing for the seat of honor with an inflated view of the self, Jesus says, take the lowest place or actually literally translated, go to the lowest place. It's really important that we, t we, we see the translation there as go, not take. And there's two reasons why. Firstly, is to create a strong contrast against what is normal in our world. The Pharisees normally choose their seats based off how honorable they thought they were compared to others. And so they're negotiating with the Pharisees around them. And so they chose their seats 
pretty much based on how they thought they were better than other people around them. And this pattern of behavior was ingrained in their heart and ingrained in how they behaved in all of life. And so when we come to verse 10, Jesus wants to make a strong point that we need to go against the grain of our culture. We need to go to the lowest place as we seek to pursue honor. Now, it's not within our nature, isn't it? We've been taught to think that honor is found in going high, in climbing that ladder, in achieving great success. We don't want to go low. That's where people are downtrodden on. No honor is there in going low in society. However, honor and recognition isn't something to be self-appointed, but something we receive as we keep reading on. So that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. Just to be clear, Jesus isn't saying, was insinuating a devious way to become honorable. Play the humble card and you'll be lifted up. Just keep that on the down low. The reason why he is saying that we must go to the lowest place is because we need to remind ourselves that we're not as amazing as we think we are. We're not as deserving of honor as we think we are. We must be humble. And being humble, we may be lifted up, or we may not be. The point, rather, is, though, is that we naturally think higher of ourselves than we ought to, and this reveals how we treat others in the pursuit of honor. And such treatment of others reveals how we also see ourselves before God. The Pharisees Pharisees thought themselves better than others, and therefore more deserving of God's love and attention, But Jesus is highlighting here that they fail to love what God loves, compassion and humility. They show their lack of compassion when they brought the sick man to be exploited as a trap for Jesus, and they show their lack of humility in how they chose their seats at the dinner table. To go low is to refuse to buy into the the world's definition of honor, something that we grab hold of, and compete for against others is to recognize what is truly valuable and that is compassion towards others and humility to think of others before ourself the way of jesus is countercultural in our world today in the world the way up is well up climb 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 get to the top against all odds at the expense of all people But the way of Jesus, the way up, is down by putting others before yourself, serving them and loving them. And the reason why it's that way is because that is the way Jesus went himself. And this brings us to the second reason as to why we need to read the word go here and not take. It's the exact same word Jesus uses to describe the journey he is taking. If you remember remember to a few weeks back, We looked at a few warnings that Jesus gave, and then the Pharisees gave their own warning to Jesus as well. They said, you should stop. You should stop your journey because Herod is going to kill you. And so Jesus replies in Luke 13, verse 33, in any case, I must press on today. The actual word is go. I must go on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jesus has just used this word to describe his journey, that he has to go on this journey towards Jerusalem. And here in Luke 14, he uses the same word to 
give shape to what that journey is all about, to what it looks like. The parable is not simply a moral story about the importance of humility before others in God. It's a foretelling of how Jesus himself will go to the lowest place. Where these Pharisees failed, Jesus will succeed and demonstrate God's love, humility, and compassion. Jesus comes as a king, but he is a king like no other. His journey to establish his kingdom will not come through the sword or through a revolution, but it will come through going to the lowest place, dying a shameful death on a cross. He will be crowned, but not one with jewels or gold. He'll be crowned with thorns. He will not be clothed in purple or red. He'll be naked and bloody. He will not be sat upon on a throne. He will die on a cross. He will not be admired and loved by the people. He was a man of sorrows, as we sang just before. He will be beaten and mocked and scorned. Why? Well, as we read in Philippians 2, he did not consider equality of God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is the way of Jesus to defeat his enemies and become king through his sacrificial death so that we would be saved from the guilt and shame of sin, having to experience that fall from grace ourselves and instead be lifted up and enjoy eternal life with him, with the king in his kingdom forever. Humility and compassion. These are the marks of Jesus and these are the marks of his kingdom. And so his invitation to go to the lowest place with him as an invitation to live the life of his kingdom, to go on this road with Jesus, living out the marks of the kingdom of humility and compassion until that kingdom finally comes in all its fullness. It's a life where we don't compete against each other, but serve one another in love. It's a life where we look at one another with love and compassion, where, we, where needs are met, forgiveness is given to those who make mistakes, where we seek to pick each other up off the ground. It's a life where we don't seek glory and honor, thinking our worth and value is tied up with our identity or status in life, but rather it's a life that is satisfied by the love of Jesus, whose compassion and grace is something we all share together with great joy. Going in this way might be difficult at times, no doubt. We face all kinds of pressures in our life, in our culture, that tell us to pursue greatness at the expense of others, that you deserve more, that you are better, so be better. And if we refuse to listen to that message, then our culture will reject us and say Christianity is dangerous, archaic. It's harming to the identity, harming to our freedom, harming to our autonomy. Christianity is seen as a tool to control people, to make people feel bad in the end. So either we follow the flow of culture or we reject it and then they reject us as well. And so some of you might be feeling this more acutely than others. And you might be thinking, why should I keep following Jesus? Why should I keep doing this if it's going to result 
in being just shamed and, and, and constantly downtrodden by the culture around me? And the answer to that question is why you should keep walking this way is because it won't always be like that. Going low, following Jesus in humility with compassion will end in glory. As we read in Philippians 2, it continues, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name as above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The way of humility and compassion, the way of Jesus is the way of honor and glory. And all those who follow Jesus will follow in this way with him and will join him in glory as well. As Jesus says himself, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. A day is coming when all people will see Jesus lifted up as Lord of all, the one who died, the one who was shamed, the one who was scorned and mocked, he will be lifted up as Lord and King over this world. And those who have gone in the way of Jesus, who have suffered the same things he has suffered, the mock and the scorn for following Jesus, they too will be lifted up with him on that day before all people experiencing uh, his glory and majesty. And so the question for us this evening is, is which way are you walking in? Which way are you walking in? The way of the Pharisees or the way of Jesus? Perhaps you can begin to answer that yourself by looking at your life. Does it reflect one of humility and compassion? Or are you just constantly competing against other people for honor and status, following in the way of this world? The call to go low is a call to live the life of the kingdom that is to come. Do you want the kingdom that is coming? If so, follow Jesus and humble yourself by going low, by putting others before you, by serving one another in love, by forgiving each other when wrong is done against you. That is the way of Jesus, the way of his kingdom. Do you want honor and glory? Then leave your pride at the door Stop competing against each other and start caring for one another around you. Forgive those who hurt you. You know, we're about to go back to Balgala. It's our last week here. And next week we'll be back in Balgala. It's so exciting. I can't wait to see what God will do through us. But going back, things are different now. We have a new building. We have a new season of life here as a church of all saints. And we are called as God's people to go low, to serve Jesus and to serve each other. And that will mean some of us have to change. Some of us have to give up certain things. Some of us have to give up certain comforts to serve other people. And that's not easy. That's uncomfortable. That's hard at times. But we are called to go low so that we can honor and glorify Jesus in, in His way and to serve those around us so they can know Jesus and what he's done for them and bring them into his kingdom. That's what we are called to do. And the reason why we ought to be excited about that is because Jesus gave up his place in heaven and came down earth, became a man, became obedient to death on the cross for us. He didn't just simply inconvenience himself. He took on flesh. He took on the guilt and the shame of our sin. He went low. 
and he calls us to do so as well. And when we do so as a church, when we seek to go, I want to serve other people, I want to do what's best for other people, that's when we'll see God work through us. And all together, we'll get to be lifted up and joined with Jesus on that day he comes back in glory. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your love. We thank you so much that you went low, that you came down from heaven to earth to die on the cross for us, to take away our sin, our guilt, and our shame. We thank you, Father, that you left this example for us to follow in, to go low so we can serve one another in love, that we can show forth that humility and compassion that you showed us. And we pray, Father, that we would do so for your glory, that you might be seen as amazing and great amongst our community in Balgala and beyond, and all people will know of their Savior in Jesus. Amen.